This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, April 25th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. The Russian propaganda machine has earned more attention since the invasion into Ukraine. Cato's Will Duffield argues that technological advancement and the speed with which information moves have shown the limits of at least some kinds of propaganda. Russia has a long history of propaganda, and they've consolidated a great deal of control just recently even over media in the former Soviet uh, center of power. And what do we know about the general tenor of the propaganda related specifically to Ukraine? Well, they've been trying to sell this war both at home and abroad by painting Ukraine as a kind of NATO-backed Nazi state. While at home this has had some purchase, abroad this narrative has failed miserably. So how are they trying to present that? I've seen pictures online of people holding both like Nazi symbology and like the Ukraine flag, and that's presented as evidence of broad-scale Nazis operating within Ukraine. Well, you go back to the Second World War and Ukrainian nationalist movements worked both with and against the Nazis at, at the time. They do have a young nationalism and some fairly far-right groups fighting for them. However, Ukraine is a pluralistic state with a Jewish comedian as a president. Russian and Ukrainian are both spoken throughout the country despite a certain amount of Russian propaganda alleging that Russian has been banned in, in Ukraine. Um, so the, the form of the state, the sorts of policies, liberties that Ukrainians have don't look anything like fascism. They have free and fair elections. So that's the, the narrative or, or what Russia has tried to present Ukraine as. And after our experience with Russian propaganda in 2016, there was a lot of fear that this would take hold, that people would believe it, that the Russian propaganda was sort of magic. However, that hasn't happened. And I think it, it ought to cause us to look back at 2016 and say, well, what's, what's different? Why did this stuff seem like magic fairy dust then? and not work at all now. In our discussion before we started recording here, the division seems to be that there was already quite a bit of animosity in 2016 that, that Russia took advantage of and sort of tried to intensify. Well, exactly. The sorts of things that Russia tried to amplify within the United States were issues that already divided Americans, things Americans had strong opinions about, and often disliked one another because of uh, things Americans already believed and were invested in. So for Russia to amplify that or even just to seem to amplify that wasn't difficult. Even if their amplification in 2016 had very little effect, they could still point to domestic uh, sniping back and forth between Americans and say, look, it, it worked. Um, and for Americans, uh, particularly, I think, sort of center-left democratic establishment, it was much easier to say this potent Russian stuff has worked rather than, well, we didn't have a very good candidate this year. And so coming out of that experience, we, we've both 
Russia itself, I think, and we have believed that their propaganda has been very effective. But you come to this situation in Ukraine and most Americans just don't care. They don't know who President Zelensky is. They have no prior reasons to believe that he is a Nazi or think of the Ukrainian government as Nazi captured. So when Russia tried to sell this, it really fell flat on its face. People just weren't buying it. And frankly, anyone who did was already so far outside of the mainstream that they didn't matter. So you might have some people who say, ah, oh, yeah, Putin's uh, going to to out Biden's secret activities in Ukraine and the Bilderberg type stockpiling money there. But that that's already you're you're pretty far gone if you're sort of thinking about that or view Ukraine as a playground for the global elite. Um, that's not the reality on the ground. So because the Russian narrative now didn't and couldn't tap into anything that people already believed, it it couldn't work. In financial reporting, I've told people I watch and listen to Bloomberg a lot. And part of the reason I watch and listen to Bloomberg is that there is widely available data that can puncture almost any narrative that you want to form about financial markets or about news of the day. And uh, with respect to Russia and uh, Ukraine, that seems to be also true. Yes, and I think the U.S. intelligence community did perhaps a better job of making use of that and of providing independently verifiable information than it has in the past. And while in the past the USIC has made some bad calls and really undercut people's ability to trust them, here in, in the lead up to this invasion, the sorts of information they relied upon and provided didn't require viewers to trust them in the same way because they could look at Maxar or other publicly available, privately gathered maps and find the exact same things that the government was claiming. And so you didn't need that trust. Instead, you could look at the independently available data and use that to puncture these Russian claims. But there have to be some lessons here for the U.S. in terms of uh, trying to evaluate, one, efforts at propaganda themselves, but also claims by Americans about the effectiveness of that propaganda. Because 2016, there, there it seems clear that there were Russians involved in trying to uh, make divisions stronger and sort of, if not radicalize people, at least get them more angry about things than they might otherwise would be. Um, and you have the whatever party loses, as you mentioned earlier, uh, has an incentive to some degree to highlight the the importance of propaganda in electoral defeat. Well, I think looking at the Russian media environment right now, we can conclude that propaganda only seems to work like magic when it can't be countered, when there is no available alternative narrative or access to the real facts. While Russia has, you know, prior to sanctions and, and RT is still available, you can 
It's not RT America, but you can go on your web browser and go to RT. They're, they're still attempting to spread these messages. They're still speaking to Americans. But because we have many other sources of information, when yesterday, I believe, the Russians claimed that their ship hadn't actually sunk, uh, people could go out and, and see that, you know, yes, it had. It had never made it back to Sevastopol. Um, it, it was somewhere under the Black Sea. And so the propaganda hasn't worked. It's really only when you have that echo chamber, when there isn't access to other media, particularly for older Russians who really just rely on television rather than using the internet at all, then that's when these narratives can become all-consuming in which people can't sort of find their way out or, or see any hint of um, reality beyond it. Um, and that's when when it can be very convincing, um, pull the wool over people's eyes. But so long as people have access to counter speech as they do in the West, it, it just doesn't seem that effective in changing minds. The initial rollout of Russian troops into Ukraine was sort of famously bad and uh, the their expectations were quickly dashed. My hope is that the extent to which states engage in broad scale propaganda, that they're also taken in by it in some ways. I, I think that, you know, you, you can certainly see Russia getting high on its own supply in a sense about its its military capabilities. On the other side, though, I think to some extent, the low morale of Russian troops and and um, their, their poor showing can be attributed to the fact that they weren't prepared very well for this. They weren't given a convincing narrative for why they were going to Ukraine. In fact, many of them didn't even realize that's where they were going because the state privileged secrecy and wasn't willing to be open and upfront about what it was doing. It, it would look bad if they were simply preparing an, an invasion. But because of that, they didn't have the opportunity to justify or sell this operation to their own soldiers. And so, again, I, I think that that's a fact which should hobble other other or give pause to other authoritarian states. Um, I, I think we can see an edge and advantage for ourselves when we look at situations in which we know that we're only likely to be going to war if our troops understand and frankly believe in what we're doing. It's very hard for a democratic society to organize itself to go to war the way Russia has. Russia can certainly or has been able to turn out the troops at, at the drop of a hat for this kind of operation, but it's not able to get them ready for it. And that's uh, really crippling. Will Duffield is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.